gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we are going to be hitting a lot of topics today and really be focusing on women and motherhood and work and callings. I know that a lot of these subjects are even subjects that people will ask about in the group and that women are often talking about. So one of the things I hear a lot, Rachel, and I'm sure you have too, being in the church for your life, is a woman's calling and you'll see things like this is a woman's highest calling and how should we understand what what is a God's calling for women specifically we'll start with that and then kind of go through what's out there it's a big topic I know yeah I think you're right that that's the question that's asked a lot it's like what does it mean for a woman to have a calling uh, is a woman's calling that she is to be a wife and mother and that is her calling and anything else she does is uh, either takes away from that calling or needs to supplement that calling. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, I, uh, I started thinking about this, you know, as we, you know, Colleen and I both have sons and my boys talk about, you know, what they want to do when they grow up, they have various interests and things that and jobs that they want to do. And they also talk a lot about, you know, when they get married, when they have fa have kids and what their life, what they want out of life. And they talk about wanting to have a job that's a good job to take care of their families. And, you know, so they, they're thinking along these lines, but of both things, like what they want to do as a job and also what they want to have with the family. And I was realizing and talking with a friend recently um, about her daughter, and she was talking about her daughter talking, you know, I, I don't want to get married. I just want to have, I, I want to work. Right. And, you know, I'm, she's, still pretty young it's not like she's this is necessarily what she's going to do but it was in her mind that she has to choose between the two right she either can have a job or she can have a family and it just struck me that so many of us as women have, have come to that point where we're thinking well which way am I going to go like we have to choose I, and I think that partly comes from the world because with you know some of the modern feminist movement mm -hmm. where I'm going to choose a career instead over of over a family Right. Over having a family. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot recently because I am 46 years old and my children are almost all grown. So while that might sound old to some of our younger listeners, it's not that old. <laughs> and I <laughs> know, surprise. And when you turn 46, message me, oh, you're right. It isn't that old. Um, but, you know, I have a, a lot of years, you know, some sometimes what am I going to do now, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I know what I'm going to do. Um, but 
I, I've really thought a lot about that because I have a lot of friends in that same exact situation. I have some friends that stayed home with their kids and their kids are all now out of the home and they've gone back to work and some have continued to stay home and uh, some care for their grandchildren and, and different things like that. But one thing I've thought about a lot is that the time that my children are in my home is relatively short mm-hmm. in looking at my entire life. Well, I think that's a good point. And I think you're right about uh, a lot of this coming out of society, that it is in society and then church seems to follow suit a lot of times that there is this, this dichotomy that's presented. Like you can either, um, that the only way you can have value, according to some, is if you are a wife and mother. And for, you know, other secular society, if you don't have a career in the world, then you you aren't using your your abilities enough, right? Like you don't, it's not enough to be a wife and a mother, right? So that these two right. ideas are presented that you have to pick, either you're going to have this or you're going to do that. Or then the others are, you, well, you have to do everything in order to be truly fulfilled. And that's a burden to place on any woman to have to do everything in life. Um, you know, and, and like you, I, I've been very thankful. I've been able, my husband's job has provided for us in such a way that I'm able to stay home and uh, homeschool the boys. Uh, although I have done quite a bit of work. I worked uh, until uh, my oldest was born. And then I've done a lot of other things like side jobs, bringing in money from home uh, throughout most of our married life. Yeah. And I, I've actually done some of that also. And this will be something no one knows. I actually ran a pretty successful eBay business where I sold things for other people. Like I had a, you know, selling $10,000 a month star or whatever it was for a while. And while homeschooling my children and, you know, just we needed a little extra money right then. And and I'm grateful that I've been able to to stay home with my kids. But I want to talk about some of the things that are so common that we hear Mm. in the church. You know, we see them on social media or maybe read them in books hear them from other Christians. And I think one of the big ones that I think may be misunderstood is regarding women are to be keepers at home. And so a lot of times the way that this is interpreted is they need to be keepers at home and nothing else. And yeah, that that's a view that's actually quite a few people hold. And we are to be keepers at home because that's what scripture says. But does that mean that we only stay home and never do anything else? You know, and this is where I think that, again, it's useful to use scripture to interpret scripture, right? So when when Paul's talking about women should be keepers at home, it's in context of women that were running around and being busybodies and gossiping and not taking care of their responsibilities. And Paul says, you know, you have work to do and you should be doing it. And he tells the you know, everyone in the church in another passage the same thing, that don't be lazy, don't sit around, you know, do your work, don't be a busybody, do your work, live as you, sh- as you should be, and take care of your responsibilities. So, you know, in that context, keeper at home has more meaning than just you should be a stay-at-home mother, right? It, there's, there's more there. You should be taking care of your responsibilities. But what that looks like may look like Lydia, who had a business and sold cloth. It may look like Priscilla, who she and her husband had a business in tent making. They worked together. It could look like the Proverbs 31 woman um, or the women who worked for her. You know, all of those could be ways in which you are being a keeper of your home. And the, the other thing I that that is often interpreted women are to be keepers at home which means you need to be a wife and a mother and that is what all women are to do and a few months ago we had my friend Jean on the podcast about being single there are some people they didn't set out to be single but they've not been married and I've had countless women that single women tell me that they feel like they're missing out on something because they're they're not married yet. That a woman's calling is to be a wife and a mother. And if they're not fulfilling those callings, then they're missing some part of the Christian life. And I'm sure you've heard some of these stories too. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, I, I tell the story in a number of places that when I was in college, I wasn't dating much. I wanted to date. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. And I was irritated about, you know, the way life was going. And so I was reading a book 
that was designed for single women and supposed to be an encouragement about how to uh, lead, live your life now as you wait for have, being married and having a family. And, and I got so irritated with the book because I felt like the authors didn't really remember what it was like to be a single woman because they were all married that I literally chucked the book across the room and didn't finish reading it. And I, I try to be careful because, you know, I, and you know, Colleen and I both, we, we married pretty young, relatively speaking. Right. We've been married a long time, had, had our family. But I have friends who didn't marry until a lot later in life. I have friends who would still like to be married. I have friends who were married but have never been able to have children, and they regret um, their, their past childbearing now, and they wish that they had had children, like that, but it never happened, right? And, right. you know, it's it's unfair of us to put a burden of expectation on people that if they don't meet up to this standard, then they can't really be a godly woman. They can't really be doing what God called them to do. But if, if you don't get married because no one ever asks you, uh, or God never sends you children, then you know, it, that's, it's not your fault, you know, in that sense, like, it's not, it's right. not that you have said, well, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to do what God's called me to do. Maybe that isn't what God called you to do. And so then the question is, what does it mean to have a calling as a woman? You know, what's really been helpful to me is just in general is understanding the doctrine of vocation, mm-hmm. that wherever the Lord has me, I do that to the glory of God. Exactly. And so that might be wife and mom, that might be, you know, working at Taco Bell and also being a friend and a daughter and a sister in Christ. And, you know, and that can encompass so many things. And and that's where the Lord has me. And that, you know, it goes to, you know, we talk about our confessions and the standards that we have. And you know, the, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And that's male or female as a person, right? What is our chief end? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And within that, there may, be, there may be many different things that God calls us to do at different times of our life and different seasons of our life, but all that should be done for his glory. We have, um, she's with the Lord now, but we have a, a family friend, and uh, she was my grandparents' age, but a, a good family friend. And she was single until she was 60, mm-hmm. and uh, her husband... Uh, the man she married, his wife had died and they met and, you know, she didn't set out to be single till 60, but that's when the Lord brought her husband. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think of is some women struggle with fertility, you know, and that can be very, very difficult when they're told that their highest calling is to be a wife and a mom and they're having trouble conceiving. And they feel like they are something then lacking in them. Right, because they are upholding, you know, their side of of what they're supposed to be. Right, that's the way they feel. I I don't believe that's correct, but that's the way, you know, that's the message that you get as a woman. Like you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. This is the one womanly thing you have to do. Right. And so I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of working outside the home. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of the history there, but. Um, You know, I was thinking this week, when I was growing up, I never, ever heard anyone say it was wrong for a woman to work outside the home. Mm -hmm. So my mom was a working mom. She was a school teacher, so she was on the same schedule that my sister and I were for the most part. And if she had a a teacher work day, we'd stay with a neighbor, go hang out at school with her, these sorts of things. And it wasn't until, I want to say the early 90s that I started hearing people talk about that a woman shouldn't work outside the home or a mother shouldn't, that it's wrong Um, to the point it's painted as sin. Since then, it's very interesting because in my mind, it's either sin or it isn't. Um, And people will say, well, that's a different situation. You know, if I say, well, what about, you know, my friend whose husband died and she has to work to provide for their family? Oh, well, that, that doesn't count. And So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of women working outside the home. And I guess it would be women working outside the home and mothers working outside the home. Rachel and I are both stay-at-home moms. And 
uh, we've both homeschooled our kids and and we've both done things to you know worked from home to bring some money in and 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 we're grateful that we've been able to do that but I often whenever these kind of black and white assertions are made I often think of people that are not in the situation where they can do that like for instance um, when people say homeschooling is the only answer and I'm thinking but what about our family member whose wife left him Mm -hmm. and the kids were homeschooled and he's got to work he can't homeschool and you know provide for them or things like that but how should we understand women working outside the home can you be a keeper at home and work outside the home you know, I think that you're right, and you know, one of the things that you hear about, well, that's different, or that's not the same thing, or maybe that's okay, is that there, there does, there seem to be a few different ways that people look at it, right? That there's the absolutely never, women should never work outside the home, no matter what, right? Then there are the, well, you know, in certain occasions it might be okay, you know, if if there's a particular need or if the husband. Um, would be, be injured or certainly if, if she becomes a widow and she needs to provide for the family. Or my favorite of the exceptions is, well, you know, if, if a man is in a seminary and his wife needs to work in order for him to go to seminary, then that's okay. But only while he's in seminary and then she needs to not, right? And it's, it's amusing to me because, you know, my, my dad is a retired pastor. My mom is retired professor. And my mom worked. Uh, after my brother and I were back in school age, my mom worked outside the home most of our childhood, most of our, our, our lives growing up. And it was in order to support my dad's calling as a pastor. We were, he was a pastor of a small church that didn't pay a lot. It paid enough, but not a lot to take care of our, our basic needs. And so, you know, my mom working was not a sense of, you know, luxury. It was putting food on the table and making sure there were clothes on our back and that, we had our health care and our food was taken care of. You know, it, our needs were met. And I think you know, when my mom and I have ta- had these conversations and when I've talked with my, my parents about these ideas, one of the things my mom always pointed to is her focus was always, what are the needs of my family? And she and my dad talk, would talk about, you know, what do we need? How do we need to take care of things? What's, the, what's necessary for us to do in order to, to take care of us? And I think that that is a way that women can absolutely be working either in the home, outside the home, or where they're called to work, and also taking care of uh, the needs of their family and being a keeper of their home, that they're doing what is necessary. And you see that in the Proverbs 31 woman, that her family has no lack because she is constantly busy taking care of their needs in all these different ways. Right, exactly. Sometimes... The way that we provide for our home is is needing to, you know, maybe have have a job, and and you know one thing I think about so often is that sometimes I think we think about our American culture, mm-hmm. and and that's the lens that we see everything. And I've mentioned that my mom was a a missionary in Zaire. Man, those women were away from the home a lot, caring for the needs of their home. In the different things that they had to do to provide for their families and the way that it is here is not the way that it necessarily is in all parts of the world and people do what's necessary to provide for their families and that's where I think it's important that we not take what culturally is expected in our culture and apply it across the board to all cultures and all times and all people everywhere and say, this is the only way for us to be uh, faithful to Scripture, right? And it, it lays an unnecessary burden, and it steps on the Christian liberty that we have to make decisions within the boundaries that Scripture gives us. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk about, because I've heard it so much, is people will say, being a mom is a woman's highest calling. And this, again... I think of my single friends that, you know, may never have children. Uh, You know, I think about my friend that struggled with infertility. And this is not in scripture. (laughs) That's what I think about most. No. That it's the highest, you know, like there's levels of callings. Mm -hmm. 
this one's the highest. So if you're a single woman, you haven't really quite reached that highest calling, you know, and it's just not an idea in scripture. Yeah, not at all. And, and you know, I keep feeling like you know, when you talk about as a single woman or a woman who has never married or a woman who has never uh, been able to have children, you know, that it, it, these discussions, when you talk about it as this is the highest calling for a woman and this is what you were called to do, it feels like you're expected to be like killing time. Like you're sitting there spinning your wheels until you can finally do the thing that you were actually made to do. Right. And that's, it's a horrible way to look at people, right? That you're not worth anything until you have fulfilled this goal. Um, and it really, it's diminishing. It's diminishing for women who are single. It's diminishing for women who are widows. It's diminishing for women whose, um, who have never been able to have children of their own. And it, I hate to use the word again, but it's an unfair burden to place on anyone. I think one thing that's important to consider, and you actually spend time on this in your book, and I think it's extremely helpful, is kind of the history of, you know, these ideas and the history of women and work. And aside from having read those sections in your book a couple of times. I, you know, I did some research myself this week. I mean, it's fascinating, and we won't be able to go in great detail with it, but let's just maybe talk about a couple things in history, specifically kind of pre- and post-Industrial Revolution, and then kind of want to talk a little bit about um, just the last century, too. So why don't you explain kind of some of those ideas during the pre-industrial revolution and what happened from then on? Sure. Before the industrial revolution, um, most people either worked um, on the farm or agricultural areas around a farm, um, or they worked around their home or from their home. Uh, You have the, the family businesses and you think about in towns, you'd have shops and then people lived over the shop and the family all were part of the work involved. And, um, so there wasn't a much of a separation between, you know, the domestic world and, you know, the working world in most people's lives. And, you know, this is true still in many cultures around the world today. Uh, and the biggest concern that people had was not, you know, who's making the money. It was about how do we provide enough that our family survives so that we have enough to eat they have shelter and we have clothes and we have the basic necessities we have a little more than that that's great but these were the concerns that people had with the industrial revolution um, factories were built businesses were built and it drew the workforce away from the home so that people work was something that you went away to do and it left people at home and you know, through through various reasons, some very natural reasons that uh, women uh, taking care of children that you know, if you have small children, they have needs that can be taken care of and or need to be taken care of, and that's something that women would do in the home, right? So then, then typically, men would go off to work, although not just men to work and work in these businesses, and they would bring home money, and then that money would buy goods, and it was a very different world so that when you talk about earlier in like the Greek and Roman ideas of you know, the separate spheres, so you have the domestic sphere and you have the, uh, that, that women, uh, inhabit and you have the, the public sphere of, of government and business that, that men inhabit. And those ideas about where men and women should be, come back into play because of, in a large part, because of the Industrial Revolution and the ability to separate work and home. And so these ideas that we have now about, well, a man goes off to work and a woman stays home and takes care of the children are in many ways much more modern ideas about how, how home and family and work should should happen. So what what kind of did we see happen in... I'm thinking a lot about, you know, um, my own grandparents who were both born in 1920. Um, well, one of my grandmas was born in 1902, but the other, my mom's parents were born in 1920. And they, uh, my great-grandparents were very conservative Christians. And they had different people that helped in different different parts of the 
the farm and helping with the family because my great-grandmother had things, you know, she was cooking meals for the the big lunch for, you know, her, her husband and the, and the helpers and whatnot. And so she had people that came in and, and helped. And my grandmother actually started going out to work um, when she was nine years old. Mm. And she started helping a... Of another farm, neighbor farm, she would go and make pie crusts um, for their for the pies that the that the wife would make. Right. And she, my grandmother, you know, my grandfather was a pastor. My grandparents very conservative Christians. My grandmother almost always worked. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I talked to my grandma a lot about it. No one ever questioned her conservative Christianity. Because she worked at J.C. Penney's. Right. I mean, you know. it really was, until very recently, it was all hands on deck, right? So what could you do to help provide for the family? And you know, it's interesting to me because there's this idea, and I've seen it in numerous places that I've read, and, and even more recently someone made a comment like this about, you know, if a woman is working outside the home, she's building up someone else's business and kingdom instead of her husband's. But that's, it's a very foreign idea to think about work in that way. Because all the work that we do, whether we're paid for it, or we do it in the home, uh, you know, like the work that we do around the home, is all work that should, should be focused on taking care of our family's needs. And, you know, my, my grandparents are much the same way my great grandparents, grandparents, most of them were, were farmers. And everybody worked. My grandmother started cooking at a very young age because while everyone else was out working on the farm, she was getting the meal ready. And that was her job to make sure that there was food on the table. And so she was a great cook, but she started cooking at like nine or 10. And that was her job, you know? Yeah. My, my grandma even told stories. The first, well, the very first job she had on the farm was um, filling sacks with corn. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I loved hearing those stories because life was very different, especially, you know, during some of the depression and um, very, very different times. But it reminds me of what we talked about last week, how our families work together mm-hmm. to, to do what needs to be done. And that's how their family worked together. There was nine kids and they all had their jobs that they did to, to accomplish what needed to be done, in, including my great-grandmother. Right. And that's where... It's inappropriate of us to say these are the only ways that a family can look and be biblical and be appropriate, right? That this is the only way. The husband has to go off to work and bring money home and the wife has to stay in the home and only work inside the home and work for with the children in the home. And that's the way that is biblical and every other way is less biblical or sinful depending on who's talking about it and what exceptions they give. And the truth is, it's a luxury for us to be able to stay home and take care of our children. And I know many people say it's a sacrifice. It is. You know, I could make more money. We could have more money in our house if I didn't work. But it's a luxury because that most people in most societies throughout most of history could not afford to do. And most of my ancestors, and I... Colleen and I, we've talked about this, most of yours, the women worked inside and outside the home as well. And everybody was concerned about how to take care of the needs of the family. And the, and there were different jobs, depending on what time period we're looking right. at. So um, midwives, for instance, you know, my grandma and all her siblings were born at home. And there were women who worked outside the home that were the midwives that came and helped with those deliveries. Um, so there's been, it looks different now when a woman maybe has a career, but ultimately, and what we're really talking about is that all of these things that we do are to provide for our homes and our families. Yes. It, it is a way that, that we do that. And that there's always been, you know, my, my, um, great grandparents had all sorts of domestic help, you know, and, and that was a way that they could also help their neighbor their neighbors that were struggling financially during the depression that couldn't afford um, 
much they could actually provide work for their neighbor. And that's, you know, one of the things that I think people miss when they look at uh, the Proverbs 31 woman is that there are women working for the Proverbs 31 woman who are equally godly women working for someone else, right? That they are, they aren't doing something inappropriate by being the woman working in someone else's home. That's all of these, these various ways that a woman can work and that we see in scripture are, are godly ways to uh, take care of ourselves, uh, take care of our families, take in, and to honor God with our work. So in kind of the last century, there was really kind of a shift after the Second World War. And I think we're, we still, sometimes when you see um, people give you a picture of what the godly woman looks like. It's, um, you know, Harriet from Ozzy and Harriet. It's the June Cleaver. The perfect night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, vacuuming in, in your pearls and heels. Um, so what, what kind of, what caused that shift? After World War II, especially, um, there was, you know, with the war, war effort, there were, calls for women to go to work and take up the, the various industries that were left behind um, with men going to war. And it was your patriotic duty to work outside the home. And many women did. They, You see Rosie the Riveter, you, these ideas of women working in all sorts of, of fields, and it was an opportunity to, to, to work in various places. And this was, you know, society thanked them for the work that they did. But when the soldiers came home, women were told, now it's your patriotic duty to go home and have a family. And many women did very happily. They had lots of kids. There was a baby boom. As familiar, most of us uh, my age have, uh, and a little younger, have boomer parents, right? These, this is what happened. There was a huge baby boom. And there was a push to, to get married, to get out of the workforce, to leave those jobs for the men who were returning. And in that push, it undid a lot of the, um, the work that had been done in the 20s and earlier um, by the first wave feminists to encourage women to uh, have the opportunity to get an education, to, uh, to work in various fields. And women, many women started getting married straight out of high school. The, mar- the age of, that people weren't getting married became younger and younger. It dropped into the teens and people started having big families and that's what they did. And so that became then for many of us, you know, my age, that became the ideal. That's what you were supposed to do when it really is a, um, an unusual period of history that was the result of many factors before it and not a consistent historical, this is the way things have always been. And even the jobs that were reserved for women were very specific jobs. Mm. You know, a woman could be a secretary, a flight attendant. You know, there was only certain choices you can have. And in some of those, some of those jobs, they would require that you not be married. Um, I mean, you even talk about in your book that they could go on a job interview and be asked, when was your last cycle? If they were a married woman without children, for instance, they wanted to know, are you pregnant? Right. Do you plan on having children soon, you know, these sorts of things, because, um, there were jobs that would say, okay, you're pregnant. You can, you can no longer work here or you're getting married. Um, okay, we'll find someone to replace you. You It's, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things I read, uh, you know, we, we see education, especially teaching as a, a woman's area of a woman's field in a lot of ways. And it has been, you know, for generations now, uh, it didn't used to be. The reason it became uh, common for young married, especially young unmarried women, to be teachers is that the school boards wanted to have more schools and they realized they could pay less if they hired women. Oh, that's fascinating. Yes. And, and, and that actually brings up the fact that the jobs for women in this um, time period, or in many time periods, I guess, were, were paid far less. Yes. Yes, the, the if a job was for women, it was paid. It paid much less. Yeah. 
Well, you you started to talk about education, mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk about education. Um, this one again is so fascinating to me. So I think in you know there's there's some families that have a long history of um, putting an emphasis on education, and that's definitely true in my family. So you know we after you graduate high school, you go to college. And uh, now my great-grandparents did not go to college, but they had nine children, six girls and three boys. And let's see, the first one, I think, was born around 1916. Mm-hmm. And they, they actually had nine kids in 10 years, which I can't even imagine, but they did. Um, but my great-grandfather insisted that every single one of his children go to college. It's wonderful. And all, you know, uh, six girls. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my grandmother, actually, here's a little fun fact. If, if anyone's familiar with, um, I think it's called Trinity International University. It's an evangelical free church school. Some people might know of Ted's Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Anyways, Trinity, um, it's in Chicago. That's where my grandmother attended in the late 1930s, although it was in Minneapolis at that point. And actually, much of my family went to that school, except me. Um, So it's very different. So they were very conservative Christians. And um, ultimately, you know, my grandparents were missionaries. um, So in in various ways. And I think I'm I think most of them went to Bible college, but I don't think all of them that all of them did. Anyway, so but now we I see these things around. I mean, there's some more extreme things out there. We've talked about the transformed wife before that um, there's no need for a woman to be educated or it's a waste, a waste to educate a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a waste. Yeah. And again, I I think about the fact that I'm 46 and my kids are, you know, all almost all grown. My youngest is about to turn 17 and I could now use the education that I received, even though I, you know, I was able to stay home, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but I have a lot of years, you know, mm-hmm. um, and not, not that it would be wrong to use it while my kids were growing, but I'm just thinking specifically of myself. Mm-hmm. But so where, where did this shift? Because it seems like there had to have been a shift and maybe even the history of women being educated. You see with, uh, with the rise of Christianity that, that Christianity and people who became Christians, that there was an emphasis on everyone being educated so that they could read scripture and, and not just to read scripture, but to be able to think about the world and, and to talk about, uh, the important things in life. So there is there is an emphasis on that, and you see it uh, again in the Reformation that the the reformers, you know, Calvin and Luther both emphasized the importance of education and teaching children male and female. Uh, and so there was this this Christian Reformed culture of women learning and being educated, and the importance of that, and and not just in the sense that, well, it's okay for women to be educated as long as it serves a particular goal with them being good wives and mothers and, or that their education should focus on being good wives and mothers, but just a general, as a person that women should learn and be educated just like men learn and are educated. And during the, um, during the Victorian era particular, there is, uh, a continued or a, a, a rebirth, like we've talked before about in other episodes, of uh, Greek and Roman ideas being brought in, and and the ideas about um, the different natures for men and women, and, and the things that they're suited for, and and the separate spheres comes back in, and this this idea begins to crop up that too much education would be bad for women because it would make them. Um, uh, it would overtax their systems that their that their mental and physical capabilities you know as women are smaller have smaller brains right that that they couldn't handle and that their uh, emotional nervous systems couldn't handle the stress of vigorous education uh, these these ideas come up and are 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 reemphasized and taught and they become the cultural standard for a lot of Western culture. Uh, that we, you know, that that, that um, 
atmosphere that we are raised in. And it's part of what the first wave feminists fought against, and it's part of what the the goals that they achieved in in encouraging education and employment opportunities for women and improvement. And it did. And that's, you see that with, you know, you talk about your grandparents and great grandparents and the the girls going to school and the, the teens and twenties, it happened quite a lot. The women going to college increased dramatically until the world war two and post world war two. And then it dropped and women stopped going to college and or by and large, and it's not until you know, quote me on this. Don't quote me on this because I'm not pulling. I'm pulling up the figure out of my memory. I think it's not until the eight, 1980s that you have the same percentage of women going to college that you had in the 20s and 30s. So there's it was higher and then it dropped considerably and then it went back up finally um, over many years. And this idea that it's not a good thing to educate women or that education is a waste on women or that education makes women less feminine or less attractive to men. Uh, these ideas are, um, are foreign to scripture. They are pagan. They are unbiblical ideas that we've imported from other cultures and they are inappropriate for us as Christians to, um, to hold people to these standards. I mean, it's one thing if you don't want to go to college, that's fine. If you don't think it's what you, you should do, that's fine. Not everyone has to go, but I do think everyone should have the opportunity to make that decision. And then it might, must be a little bit impressive that my mom and all her sisters went to college. Let's see. My mom would have gone to college in, oh, so that would have been in the 1960s. Um, so like, like I said, and, and my grandparents, very conservative Christians, um, there's a, a lot of times some different scripture quoted in this context. And, um, we're going to go through some of that and just discuss them. And the first one we've already talked about, and that's the Proverbs 31 woman. And really, she sounds like a very busy woman <laughs> when I read it, you right. know, she's, she, she is caring for her household. And sometimes that's in her home. And sometimes that's, that's going out of her home. Yeah, you see her active in many industries. Uh, she's, she considers a field and buys it. Right? Um, I have, I have heard some interpretations that say that that means that it's okay for a woman to work in real estate, that that, or a family business. Oh, oh I didn't hear yes. that one. Okay. Um, a very, a very, very wooden interpretation of that literal interpretation of the passage um but she's also in the marketplace she's buying and selling goods she's caring for uh what her family needs and you see that the reason is so that her husband can do what he is called to do right so each of them are doing what they're called to do and in a way that supports the family and supports them as a family and you know we keep going back to that but i think that really is and should be our focus, both as men and women. And I, I love that focus. I love looking at this conversation through that lens in, in everything that we do, and even how that fits into our vocations. Yeah, you know, I think that that's one of the things, you know, with having sons and want and talk to them and helping them think about their future. I don't want my children and I don't think any of us should want our children to, to be so focused on on self and and um, self aggrandizement, self um, importance that all they're focused on is how to um, excel and do things, and it doesn't matter the effect that that has on the people around them. So that you know you get people who are uh, workaholics. You have men and women who are never home because they're always after the next thing. And I'm not saying that you know, some people work very hard and it's what they have to do in order to support their families. But that idea that, you know, women are supposed to be uh, inclined to the home, but it's okay if a man's work is work focus is such that he doesn't, he never sees his kids. And that's not okay either. You know, I, th- I think scripture indicates that that both men and women should be concerned about what goes on in their ho- their homes. 
So one of the verses that's often used um, is Proverbs seven eleven. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. So that's, we hear this used as, you know, a woman who leaves home. She's rebellious. Right. Um, I've heard it many times and used usually in connection with the keep her at home verse that, see, this proves it, that if you're working outside the home or if you want to have a career, that's just evidence that you are a rebellious woman. And it's interesting because if you look at, read the Proverbs, um, there are two women, particularly, that are, are allegories. You have the woman of folly, the adulterous woman, who you see her in Proverbs 7:11. But then you also have wisdom, which is uh, personified as a woman. And you see her in Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, particularly. And in these passages, I, I, I looked at how, uh, how the women are described. And the woman of... Um, the woman of folly, the woman who is the adulterous woman, is described as uh, away from home. She's described as calling out to men, inviting them into her home, and, and loud. And, and so this just, people use this verse in these verses to say, see, you know, women should never be loud. They should not be out in public doing these things. It's inappropriate. But if you look at the description of wisdom, it talks about wisdom calling from the high places and calling from the streets and calling to the men to invite them into her home for a feast. She calls at the city gates. And the difference then, it's not that women are not supposed to be loud. It's not so that women aren't supposed to be um, out in the workforce. It's what they're, what they're calling men to. It's how, what they are leading men and how they are influencing people. And I using men here as in men and women at what, what they are doing that influences those around them. The difference is that the adulterous woman, the woman of folly is tempting men in particular, um, and leading them into sin. And the, and wisdom is calling to men and leading them to godly wisdom. Right. So the difference is in what, what their aims are and what they're doing, not how they're doing it. Right? The, the wisdom doesn't sit in her home and wait for people to come to her door, and, and then she invites them in. You know, she's out there calling, saying, come, listen, learn from me. And I think it's important to, again, the context of the verses, and that we don't use that verse out of context. Because if it means that you can't leave the home, and that being outside the home, working outside the home is inappropriate, then there is a similar verse in the Proverbs that speak of men outside the home. And I think, Colleen, you have it, the Proverbs 27. Yeah, verse eight. Proverbs 27. Yeah, it's Proverbs 27, 8. And it says, like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. So now we, just like you said, we see this with a man. Right. And there's this idea is, you know, going back to the separate spheres that, you know, Adam was created outside the garden. And so therefore men have their focus in the outside world and that Eve was created inside the garden and therefore women have an inclination toward the home. And I don't disagree at all that as women, we should be concerned about our homes. I think that's an important thing. Uh, I think it's a blessing to be a wife. I think it's a blessing to be a mother. But when you make that, that difference that men are made for the outside world and women are made for the domestic world, um, it, it's very limiting. It um, undermines our work together as men and women, uh, both in the home and outside the home. It, it, it undermines the, the use of our gifts for uh, our families and use, our use of our gifts um, for society and for our, our community. And it it limits what um, both men and women, right? and it, it seems obvious how in the ways that we're talking about that women are limited, but men also are limited. If you tell a man that he needs to be focused on the outside world and that's where his, his focus should be, then it does feed into that idea that a man doesn't need to spend time with his family and know them and be concerned about what's going on there or that it's somehow, um, you know, it, unmanly to take care of things in your home and to help with the running of your home. And, you know, it's, it's contrary to what we see throughout scripture 
It's contrary to what we see in the descriptions of our elders and deacons, that the men who are, are called to those and qualified for those roles should be um, good managers of their homes, right? And that doesn't just mean that they have delegated the authority to their wife and their wife is supposed to take care of everything at the house. You know, they, they are part of the running of their home. And that inclination towards the home is something I think that both men and women, especially as believers, are called to. Yeah, and I think both of those verses, I'm I'm glad that you had um, pointed those out because I think both of those verses point to exactly what you're saying and really um, go along with our theme of both husband and wife caring for their families. And we we may do that in different ways. There There's ways that um, a woman specifically does and a man specifically does. So there there's one passage that it, it is definitely on the list of um, the most, um, I guess, misused that I hear quite often. And we're going to look at at 1 Timothy 5. And in 1 Timothy 5, it speaks a lot about, you know, caring for, caring for the widows. So what this verse, I hear it, I hear it mis, I mean, I hear it quoted and interpreted um, wrong so often. And it's in the context when it's talking about, when people are talking about, well, a man is supposed to be the one providing for his family, and they quote 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And um, that actually says if anyone, it doesn't say if husband and father. Yeah, and it is. It doesn't say if man. The Greek is is gender neutral on the anyone. It I've, I've looked at it um, because there are translations, uh, usually paraphrases that people will say, and it's usually quoted as if any man does not provide for his home, then he is denied the faith and is worth an unbeliever. But it isn't what the passage says, and if you look further. Uh, verse 16 of that passage says, if any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened. Uh, and so the indication of the passage is uh, both Paul is telling believers, men and women, that they should take care of their families, including the widows in their family, so that the church can take care of the widows who don't have family to take care of them. It's very, it's a very, um, the passage has a very particular context. And provision seems to be not given specifically to men in that passage when you look at it in, in the whole. You know, uh, I got a message this week, and um, it, I think it would fit into to talking about here. And that is, is there specific callings for wives and moms and women? You know, um, I think that that it's important for us to remember that as men and women created in the image of God, we have a shared calling to work. You see the creation mandate in Genesis 1 given both to men and women, and we were made to work. We were not made to be idle in any way. And what that work looks like is going to depend um, on many factors. It depends, like we talked about, on our season of life on our gifts, on the needs of our family. And, you know, I think it's just very important that we remember and not place a burden on others uh, that we have various callings as men and women. Those callings may also include being wives and mothers, being husbands and fathers. And whatever those callings are should be to God's glory and should be uh, to take care of or in order to take care of our families. And I'm glad you talked about gifts and season of life because those those do change. Mm-hmm. You know, how that looks for different family, it's going to look different. There's no two families that that's going to look identical. Right. Um, it's going to look different in different ways. We think about the different gifts that we have. Uh, I was thinking this week about some friends of ours and she stays home with the kids but he loves to cook and he is an amazing cook mm-hmm. you know when he cooks for us it's always going to be amazing but he likes to come home from work and he likes to cook and it, it's that doesn't mean that she's neglecting her you know work as a mom 
she's caring for the kids and, and the home and um, doing various things. And But he enjoys doing that, and he's good at it. And so it, and so that that's the way it looks in their family. My husband, um, not as good of a cook. <laughs> and, and so it looks different in our home. Like, right, you know, for many years, I did most of the cooking. I enjoy it. I'm good at it. And, and that's what I did. And now my boys do a lot of it. We're in a different season of life now. And we have friends who, where the wife is the one who is um, mechanically inclined, if you will. She's the one. She's good at repairs. She's good at... Um, at fixing things. And so when something breaks in the house, she's the one that's going to fix it, you know? And I have another good friend that her, her husband loves to clean. It's a way that he releases stress. Like it, it is calming to him to clean. And so he'll do the dishes. He'll clean, he'll, he'll mop the floors. He does what he does when he needs to run off some energy. And when they first got married, she was very concerned about it. She's like, this is, I'm supposed to do this. If I'm not doing this, then I'm not a good wife and mother and, and I'm failing. And, you know, he set her down. He's, he's like, look, I just like to do these things and it's okay. And it's okay that I do them and I'm not doing them to, to make you feel bad. You know, I'm just, it's okay. And you know, that's where I think it's important for us to, to consider our strengths, our weaknesses, our gifts within our family setting and not look to other people's families and how they work it out to determine how we should do it. You know, uh, we're not talking about marriage specifically now, but I did want to just say in the context of marriage, one of the beautiful things is that is that my husband and I both know our strengths and our weaknesses, the things that we're good at, maybe not as good at, and the way that, you know, especially now, 24 years marriage, that we work together mm-hmm. on those things that we may, you know, be good at, or there may be things that I have time for that either one of us could do, but he's at work and I'm home. And so I have time for them. So I do them. And, you know, I hear even just silly conversations. Should a husband or wife um, take care of the finances, you know? And someone said, well, which one is good at it? You know? And so that that's the beautiful thing is that you you work together to find what works for you you know just like just like in what we're talking about here even marriages will look different families will look different and i do think you talked about wisdom before that there are things that fall into wisdom and one thing we didn't mention that i'll mention real quick is there are so many things that fall under christian liberty yes. if they're not addressed very specifically in scripture, they really do fall under Christian liberty. Now, within that liberty, we should use wisdom yes. and consider the things that we've talked about here. Um, but there there are many things that fall under that. Absolutely. And I think that it's, it's one of those places that we should be giving each other uh, a lot of grace, that we should um, be respectful of each family and each person as they have figured out how God has called them to work and how things should work in their family or for those who are single, how God has called them to serve at this stage in their life. And we should be, unless we're looking at, you know, something that is obvious sin, right? That this is something that the scripture speaks clearly that no one should do. Then we should mind our own business, honestly, about what works for other people but we're so good at judging Uh, (laughs) yes aren't we you don't look like me (laughs) um well i i think this is such an important discussion and um I appreciate all of your input, Rachel. Rachel's just done so much research on this, so I I appreciate and so I feel a little bit less um knowledgeable on on some of this, but I I'm glad that that you've done the research and written the book and and I'm going to say again, so you'll probably get tired of me saying it, but if you haven't read Rachel's book, some of what we're talking about here, she does talk about. And I think one of the things that I find so fascinating, I love history mm-hmm. so much. And I think looking at the history and even how things are done in different parts of the world is very eye-opening. Um, some, I think we sometimes look at everything through the way things are 
in our own countries, in our own communities. Mm. So, Good point. This week we have a special giveaway. You'll be able to find information on our Facebook page and our Twitter. And we're going to be giving away a few CDs. And they are, the CDs are of a group called the Photo Sisters. And they sing and play musical instruments. In the episode notes, I will link to their page. And I will also link to their YouTube so you can check them out. And then just check out our various social media for how you can be entered to win a CD. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back next week.